Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. My name is Dean Jones. I'm the Well-Seasoned Librarian. We are in Season 3, Episode 10, also Halloween week. Today my guest is Laurel Woodward. I'm very happy to have her on the show. She is um, a wonderful person to talk to, and I really enjoyed her book, Kitchen Witchery, that is out now. Laurel is a writer, gardener, and cooker, and she lives a magical life in the Pacific Northwest. She has written for magazines and e-zines on the subjects of healthy living, organic gardening, sustainable living, and the magic of tapping into creative energy. Kitchen Witchery is her first book by Llewellyn Publications. I'm going to go right to the conversation I had with her. I enjoyed talking to Laurel, and onward we go. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today, I'm very happy to have as a guest, Laurel Woodward, whose book, Kitchen Witchery, is out now. Thank you for attending this podcast, Laurel. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for asking me. Now, you've been writing for 20 years. What are some of the publications you've written for, and how did you become to be a writer? I've been writing forever. I pretty much write every day. Um, I was an English major, and I always wanted to write a YA or a crime fiction novel, but I fell into writing articles. I think my first was Baking for the Season for the Witch's Digest Jewel Edition. And by 2009, I was the seasonal contributor for Own Times Magazine, writing articles with a focus on seasonal living and meditation. Last, last week, I wrote two articles for Llewellyn, Mindfulness in the Time of COVID and Kitchen Witchery, Magic of Everyday Things. And then over the weekend, I wrote an article for Witchology Magazine, their fall edition. The editor asked for a piece with an autumnal recipe. I was leaning toward pear because my pear tree is having a great year, but patty pan squash and pumpkin were also in the running. I ended up with pumpkin because it's an icon of the fall season. Anyway, the article is The Art of Kitchen Witchery and it included a cinnamon sugar filled pumpkin butt cake with maple frosting. I wrote the article on Thursday and Friday, came up with the recipe on Saturday. Sunday, mixed it up and baked it up my friend Britta's. We snapped a score of pictures. I fed it to eight different people and asked them to rate it. And then I sent it in. Nice. <laughs> now, how did Kitchen Witchery begin for you? Had you always wanted to write it or just become of an inspiration? Well, I have three passions, cooking, gardening, and writing. I started baking as a kid. By the time I was 12, I had a repertoire of three cakes I could bake from memory. Around the same time, I fell in love with baking bread. My father liked to cook. He had an old gourmet cookbook, and he went through it for diff different recipes to try, and I usually helped. Sometimes they were wonderful, and sometimes they weren't. I inherited that book when he died. My father also had the gardening bug, and he passed it to me. We always had a vegetable bed with squash, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, and okra. Anyway, Kitchen Witchery evolved from a compendium of plants, a collection of histories and more of garden plants that I amassed over the years. It started as notes in book form, then around 2004, I transferred it to digital format because it was too messy and too awkward to keep adding to and updating. Um, I named it The Magical Path, and it grew into 600 pages of herbal histories and more. And I have a terrible memory, so anything I want to access, I write down. Me too. <laughs> One day, I was, I was looking up something, and I think it might have been a mugwort tea. And my friend Tina was reading on my shoulder, and she asked if I'd ever thought of having it published which I immediately thought, absolutely not, because, you know, this was a record of my notes and my innermost thoughts. The idea niggled at me, and I toyed with it until I came up with using the notes of the culinary herbs to write a book on food magic, which I presented to Llewellyn in February 2020. 
Well, we're very lucky you let your uh, persuaded to do so. <laughs> Thanks. The, the book process is such a strange thing. It was nothing like I thought it would be at all. Um, I, I sent it to Llewellyn and I got an email. We love it. It's wonderful. We're so excited about this project. And you know, you're thrilled. You sign the contract and then the manuscript goes before a vision panel where several people hash over ways to make it into a, a sellable product. The notes come back and it's something like, okay, so it's only going to be text, remove all the tables and images, cut out the last 40 pages, move these sections up, break these three paragraphs into their own chapters. And you do it and you send it in and they say, that's better. Now add all the citations. <laughs> uh, I've heard this from a lot of friends. Um, they say, never tell anybody you finished a book because they don't understand the time it's going to take between finishing it and publishing it. So uh, there's always this huge lap between the two. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, after that, it goes to the production editor, checks everything and, and things do change. I mean, when I sent that in, I think... Uh, I think uh, it was um, something like amino acids had increased by one or two. They, I know they added folate. Um, and then the, then the manuscript goes to a production team. Someone sets the format and either designs the art and then it goes to the proofreader. And at the end, you have this beautiful polished volume that a whole team has worked on to create. Well, it's very beautiful. I mean, they did a great job. Llewellyn, I think, I mean, I've always liked Llewellyn books, but I really feel like they're getting better they're putting a lot more time and effort into the books and it really showed with your book. It, it was a great experience. For those who might know what a kitchen witch is, what makes someone a kitchen witch in your opinion? A kitchen witch is a magically minded person who brings the practice to their daily life by using meal time to consciously create. First by setting an intention, then by align, aligning it with the energy and the food items, then charging the food with the action, the action of measuring, mixing, stirring, and cooking, to transform a substance into a meal all the while focusing on the intention. As a young witch, most of my practice was spent reading and studying the magical arts and then preparing for and performing a ritual under the moon. I did this work and grew and began to consider how I might bring my practice into my everyday life. And I think it was around 2009, I came across the book, The Goddess and the Details by Deborah Blake. In it, she talks about how to integrate practice into your everyday life through conscious living. After that, I was hooked. I came to learn that if you apply magical principles and mindful approach to any task, be it walking down the street or making dinner, the act is elevated to ritual and becomes so much more. First by setting an intention, then through the focus of will, you can make magic every time you create, no matter the medium. So much of rituals in the mind or the mindset. If we take an attitude that something's sacred and treat it as sacred, then it becomes so. So yeah, this a lot of what you're saying reminds me of the movie like Water for Chocolate. I know that in that book, um, the, the protagonist would cook and her thoughts and feelings would manifest through what she cooked in the kitchen. So when she was sad, the food would make people cry or, weep, or, or weep, openly weep. Or when she was lustful, the people would become all hot and bothered when they're eating the food. So, I love that story. That was a great story. Oh, yeah. It was nice. It's one of my favorites. Um, how does your work as a gardener inspire your work and influence it? Well, I grow a lot of my own produce and I eat seasonally, which means I've been eating a squash a day since last month. But having a surplus is a great opportunity to try out or dream up a new recipe. I grow a lot of herbs and I use them in my practice. And I have an 
culinary herb patch with basil, rosemary, thyme, sage, lemon balm, oregano, cilantro, which, which of course becomes coriander when it seeds. And each plant is so unique, it has so much information to share. I have a passion for collecting new ones and learning about their growth habits and researching their history and more. Every interesting bit I turn up, I write down. Last spring, I planted echinacea, elkapane, and feverfew. And I'm just getting to know them. Echinacea, as you know, will boost your immune system. It's a wonderful remedy for mental exhaustion and it can be used to enhance intuition. Elkapane also holds positive energy to open the way for opportunity to manifest and it can be burned to increase or sharpen psychic sight. Feverfew is a wonderful headache cure, whether eaten as a sandwich or drunk as tea. You can add it to your bath water to improve your luck or ward against accidents. Lately, I've been working with Hawthorne to make infusion from the leaves and sipping the tea or pouring it into bath water to soak in and soothe the mind and spirit. You can combine it with yarrow to ease sadness, something I think many of us are feeling these days with everything going on. Oh, yeah. But it was my garden that inspired my practice. I love being outside, working with the earth and my plant allies. And I have a lot of plant allies I use in my cooking and my practice. One of my favorite plants is my sweet bay tree. It holds a positive, invigorating energy to support luck, glory, victory, and visions. You can use a leaf to flavor soup or bean or, or burn a leaf to open the mind and stimulate psychic powers, or even blew up an, blew up an infusion to awaken creativity. I keep a mister filled with bay leaf and cinnamon infusion on my desk to stimulate creative thought, and it works. A lot of ritual is applied psychology. We set triggers in place to tell the mind to get ready, strike a match, light a candle, or a stick of incense in the act that you've done over and over before you practice tells your mind to get ready to quiet as the scent registers deep within. I love bay, I love bay tree. Oh, is that the spray? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to do that. That sounds great. It smells fantastic too. And it, it really does work. Huh. I try that. I love wow. the smell of bay. I love the tree anyway. It's such a majestic tree. It's mm -hmm. so beautiful. And it just, I don't know, there's something about it that really attracts me. Celebrating the seasons is something you write about in your book and in your writing for publications. How does celebrating the seasons influence your work? I'm very much in tune with the seasons. I think a big part of that is because all the hours I spend outdoor, outside witnessing the seasonal change firsthand. I use the ripening produce to feed my family and myself. Making, marking the seasonal changes through ritual is a way of connecting with and honoring the moment. I also love holidays, decorating the house, cooking up special meals. Participating in holidays celebration enhances and enriches our lives. Having friends and family over creates family rituals that elevates the day from ordinary to something to be remembered. It's these memories that help to build our identity and fortify family and friendship bonds. We recently had a holiday, um, Lamas or Lunasa, as some people say, a harvest celebration. How do you celebrate this yourself or recommend somebody celebrate it? Usually I look up a bread recipe and make something special. But sadly, this year was a little frantic for me. Last March, I signed a contract for a second book, a Garden and Sacred Space book. It doesn't have an official title yet, but it's set to publish summer of 2022. Oh, good. <laughs> anyway, August 1st was the deadline for the second revision. And suddenly, Lamas was here, and my oven's broken. It's an ancient thing, and one of the hinges snapped off the door, and I haven't been able to replace it yet. Yikes. Instead, I've been doing a lot of experimenting with my air fryer and slow cooker. I did come up with a lovely recipe for slow cooker sourdough. It takes three hours to cook. And because it cooks so slow, it doesn't need a second rise time. 
the flavor and the texture of the loaf is better than my oven baked loaf. The recipe's on my blog if you'd like to try it. I will. Actually, I <laughs> saw it. So yeah, I saw that. This, this year, I uh, turned in the book and I made a zucchini lasagna in my slow cooker. Nice. Late in the evening, I drank a glass of wine and watched the sunset, and then I left a piece of lasagna for the garden spirits. Very nice. I like that. What'd you do? Um, I cut down some of the corn with, uh, I have a scythe that I use every year, and I put it on the mantle when I'm done. And I uh, cut down some corn and some of the wheat I grew, and I left a libation of ale for the um, garden spirits, uh, garden fairies. And I said a thank you to the Earth Mother. And I said that with my family and I shared um, the libation avail with my wife to kind of like, you know, pass that on to the family. And yeah, it was really it. I made some bread too. I made a strong loaf, which had a oh, rye, nice. wheat, rice, barley in it. Sounds delicious. Yeah. I only, I mean, I only make it during that time of year and it always, the kids always really love it. Mm -hmm. You have six kids. Yes. <laughs> uh, and from experience, I can say that's nutty. How many do you I, have? I, I have four. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, like. I had four in six years. So I I, I can't imagine having more. <laughs> I had one um, forever. And then when he grew up, I gained five. Wow. So wow. I, overnight, I had five kids. So yeah. Do you think of much of working with food and magic is an observation as like being here now, kind of influencing what most people miss buying food out of season or eating pre-prepared food? Yes, I, I, our current food system, be it convenient, has caused many to fall out of touch with how food is grown or even where it comes from. It's not uncommon to purchase a meal and eat it on the go with little appreciation or thought. Kitchen magic is all about honoring our food choices and being present throughout the creation process. There is an amazing store of energy in the food we eat. And then in the process of, prepare, of preparation, we mix in the energy of our mind and bodies with each deliberate action of measuring, chopping, kneading, peeling and stirring by our thoughts, our words, our breath, our emotion, that energy is shaped. When you bring mindfulness to cooking, the process transforms from chore to art as your efforts go from half-hearted attempts to acts of conscious creation. Kitchen magic works by setting an intention and aligning magical correspondence of inner ingredients to make a dish with the power to comfort, nourish, heal, it can even work to inspire affection, sweeten somebody's attitude for you, or even compel someone to do or think something you wish for them to do or think. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What do you suggest to somebody who wants to follow the kitchen witch path? What would you recommend as a starting point? Well, um, I'd start with baking bread. Making bread forces you to engage with your whole body as you knead the dough. The process of kneading makes it easy for you to be present as you channel your intention and energy into the dough until it changes structure. And dough is a wonderful medium because you can feel it and see the structure change. Um, you should also read the recipe through and gather all the ingredients and tools you need before you start to make it. 
Your timing is a variable that can affect the success of a recipe, so prepare each ingredient before you start to cook. Most importantly, give the process your full attention. It's when we apply mindfulness to our cooking that the process becomes magical. Witchcraft, witchcraft is a kind of setting your attention and mindfully doing the work to get it to manifest. Um, another tip would be to honor the likes and dislikes and dietary restrictions of the person or persons you're serving. Different flavors and emotions evoke deep reactions within us. These may hold energy for affection, but if your best friend hates them, then serving up a goat cheese beet salad isn't going to win you any points. No. <laughs> if, if you're hosting a birthday party and you don't bother to find out the birthday person's favorite food or favorite flavored cake, you aren't going to make them feel very special. For me, I'm a chocolate addict, so anything chocolate will have an effect. Me too. <laughs> No, I was really pleased to see that you mentioned alternative grains in your book, and you had some recipes using them. And you also discussed using various types of oils in cooking for magical result. For people beginning on working with alternative grains, do you have any tips? I do. Um, I do bake a lot of traditional recipes for my friends and family, but I'm sensitive to wheat. It triggers psoriasis, so I try to avoid it completely. Um, because of that, I experiment a lot with of all a lot with alternative flour combinations. Um, right now I do a mostly almond meal, coconut flour, tapioca, and quinoa flour. For someone starting out, the best advice I can give is after you add the liquid to the dry ingredients, let the batter rest for 15 to 30 minutes so that the liquid can be absorbed. That lets the batter um, become much more bread-like in texture. And also don't rush the cook time. Uh, many alternative combinations take longer to cook through. As far as oils go, don't keep old oils. Toss them as soon as the date expires or as soon as the flavor starts to turn. I like experimenting with exotic oils, but they're expensive and have a short shelf life. Um, oh, yeah. Two, two I use the most are olive oil and butter. Yeah, there's nothing worse than going to cook something and, and finding out you've ruined it with rancid oil. Oh, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> I want to highlight a portion of the book where you use the act of baking a pie to attract love as an example of using uh, magic for kitchen and kitchen witchery. Can you describe this process and how it highlights the idea of cooking as spell work and intent being used in an act of baking? Sure. Um, pies are a wonderful medium for work to inspire affection and sweeten someone's thoughts of you. Sugar is the traditional sweetening food. Add in the flavor of fruit and a flaky chewy crust and you create a deliciously sensuous pleasure. Sharing food, especially if it's something made for an individual to make them feel special is a marvelous tool to gel, strengthen, or mend a relationship. All of the senses come together to envelop you in pleasure and influence the way you feel about someone or yourself as it expands your sense of well-being. And it can even transport your mind back in time. But let's say you're baking a pie to inspire romance. I would choose apple or cherry as these are foods of love. And as you make the crust, chop the fruit and layer it in the pie crust. Picture attention on the moment so that it swells and floods to fill up your senses as you hold that intention or the reason you're making this pie. Also let your heart fill with gratitude. And then as you serve it, radiate your best self. I like that. There are a lot of films that, you know, they're popular films and I may even like them, but they often will do these ham-handed depictions of uh, witches around a cauldron just stirring like random, you know, weeds and things <laughs> into water. And it's, it's always so irritating because it's like, really, what are you doing? What do you think of some of these depictions and, and like, 
Uh, do you, I mean, are there any that you think they, they get it right? Or do you think there's any like they really kind of missed the whole boat? Well, mostly they missed the boat, but I do have to say it's a lot of fun. And especially as we get into fall, I, I absolutely love those magic movies. Me too. Um, they, they set the atmosphere and they, they're just wonderful. Um, I think one of the big things they get wrong, though, is the results. In the movies, they work a spell and the effect is immediate. In reality, uh, a successful spell is more like an opening of ways so that circumstances line up and open so that luck is on your side and the universe is at your back and everything comes together to give you what you asked for. What cookbook authors do you like to read? Um, who do you go to when you want to kind of look up some recipes and stuff? Well, I, I follow Daniel Walker, Sarah Wilson, and I love America's Test Kitchen. Um, as far as cookbook writers, I really enjoy Ina Garden, the Barefoot Contessa. Oh, yeah. I, I love how she takes a complex recipe and breaks it down into steps that anyone can follow and still gets great results. In fact, her uh, beef bourguignon is one of my signature dishes that I always make for guests or special occasions. She took a very complex recipe and simplified it so that instead of an entire day, you can make it in about three hours. Very nice. Yeah, it's, 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 it's so rich and flavorful. It's an amazing recipe, if you eat meat. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite types of foods to cook at home? Do you have any specialties? I do, I do. Um, and it's always adapted to what I have in bonus going on in the garden. Um, right now I have lots of tomatoes and squash. Um, I really have been eating squash a day. Uh, I had shredded uh, shredded scramble mixed with coconut flour cooked up in pancakes this morning. Um, and yesterday I did a big batch of zucchini and uh, eggplant chips with onion dip. Oh, nice. Um, it, it was amazing. It was do you do those so in delicious. the- Do you do them Air in cooker. the- yes. Air cooker. Yes. Okay, I got to try that because I got a lot of zucchini. Uh, you know, it says to only do single layer and I did that. It took freaking forever and it was delicious and great, but it was not worth it for time. Now I just dump the whole thing in and just give it a shake and I'll, I'll fill the whole thing up and cook it at 390 for, for 18 to 20 minutes. Comes out amazing. Okay, I'm going to try Just cut it them out. really thin. Uh, drizzle them with olive oil, salt and pepper, um, spoon to coat, dump them in. And there you go. Super easy. Okay, Works with eggplant too. Eggplant's amazing. I got so much zucchini right now. It's just... I, I do too. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I you away. People are starting to say no. <laughs> I can look at this zucchini plants and you, you, can, you don't see anything, but you just move a leaf over and you've got like four. Like, where do they come one. from? Yeah. That happens to me with potatoes too. I, ex I made the mistake of planting potatoes in the ground about two years ago. And now I just have random potatoes everywhere. <laughs> I, I plant potatoes in, in big plastic um, buckets now um, just to contain them and make it easier. But yeah. yeah I, I, knew somebody who, <laughs> I knew somebody who had, they had gotten a secondhand kids waiting pool for that. Oh, and they use that. Yeah. yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah, I, I planted a um, potato in the ground just out of curiosity to see what happens. And now I kind of regret it because I got a potato palooza growing on in the garden. <laughs> I want to ask you this last question, um, but I hope it's a fun one. If you could invite up to 13 people living or dead to a dinner party, who would you invite and what would you serve them? 
Oh, I love that question. I love dinner parties. Um, it's something I've really missed because of COVID. Eating is one of life's great pleasures. Um, my dinner party would definitely be set in the fall and the house would be decorated in autumn colors. And I would start with the cheese boards heaping with fruit, fresh and dried, and nuts, and an array of different cheeses set out for anyone passing to nibble on. Off to the side, I'd have an assortment of rustic rolls and artesian loaves and herbed butters and dipping sauces. And at dinner, uh, I'd give everyone a small dish of olive oil and bread and a light salad to start. Um, I'd give them a choice of beef or pasta, and I'd do beef bourguignon or um, maybe a ravioli with butternut squash filling. And uh, on the table, there'd also be roast root vegetables and a platter of roasted eggplant and zucchini. And for dessert, I'd have vanilla bean ice cream and a decadent chocolate cake. That sounds wonderful. For a guest list, I, I would definitely, um, I would invite writers, I think. I, I think they're the most interesting for conversations. Um, I won't name them all because there are too many current fascinating writers who have influenced my thoughts and my practice, but I'd love to listen to the conversations of Carl Jung, uh, David Bowie, Starhawk, nice. Laurie Cabot, Selena Fox. Oh, and two authors I feel I know that I've never actually met, Deborah Blake and Emily Carding. I think that would be a, a wonderful dinner party. <laughs> that sounds like a very nice dinner party. Like <laughs> and, and you and your wife could come. Thank you very much. We would love to be there. <laughs> I would love to get to talk to all of them. Yeah. Who would you invite? Oh, I'd invite Vincent Price, of course, because he's a great gourmand. And I actually have a cookbook by Vincent Price. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, it's, he has an old antique cookbook from the 60s that I, a friend got a copy for me. And it's very over the top. It's all stuff I would character. never. Yeah, I would. He was a huge uh, patron of the arts. There's uh, lots of uh, Los Angeles art galleries that have his endowments in them. He oh, really believed in, Yeah, he believed in bringing arts to the masses and made sure it's accessible for everybody. He was a huge proponent of the arts. I, he's a hero of mine. And of course, uh, Boris Karloff, uh, <laughs> the great British actor who portrayed uh, Frankenstein's creature. I would invite him because he was a great gardener and I'd love to talk to him about oh. gardening tips. And of course, I would bring invite Neil Gaiman because mm -hmm. uh, he's another person I really adore. And uh, God, who else? I think Charles Adams, the creator mm -hmm. of the Adams Family. Mm -hmm. He was a really fun guy, Ray Bradbury. And of course, I would want to bring, um, uh, what is her name? She wrote uh, Hill House. They just did a documentary about Oh, um, oh. Uh, Look it up really quickly. Oh, Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson, yes. I would invite her. I would have to have her there because she really loved food and she was just a, a character and she could do tarot readings for everybody. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. And I would invite you and your husband as well. Oh, thank you. That would be fun. Yeah. I, It'd I, be great I, evening. I would be, yeah. How would you serve? Yeah, I would just serve a lot of, you know, I don't like having to hover in the kitchen when I have guests over. So I would make some chicken ahead of time and, you know, serve it cold, cut up, lots of legs and, you know, accessible pieces. And I would serve lots of ripe peaches mm -hmm. and uh, nectarines cut up, maybe with some basil and prosciutto. Nice. Uh, I would have a huge cheese board from our, some of our local uh, cheeses like Cowgirl Creamery we have out here. We have some just great local cheese. I would serve lots of that. Um, 
I would serve uh, lots of breads, different types of breads and uh, dates and figs and walnuts and pecans. And I would serve lots of port and uh, wine, local wine, and uh, just let everybody have yeah, it fun. Yeah, sounds time. fun. Sounds like yeah. a wonderful evening. Yeah, just everybody can just dig in and talk mm -hmm. and munch while they go. I think that'd be kind of nice. Oh, that's the best thing about dinner parties are the conversations. I agree. If you can invite good guests that can create the, the entertainment, you got everything done. That is true. Well, I've had a lovely time talking to you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for asking me. It was a, a pleasure. So I look forward to uh, seeing your next book out next year and having you on again. Well, thank you. I am looking forward to it also. Thank you. Thank you. That was my conversation with Laurel Woodward about her new book, Kitchen Witchery, out by Llewellyn Publications. You can get that on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, as well as other forums, and you can buy it in most bookstores as well. It'd make a great Halloween gift for anybody. Now, for the rest of Halloween week, we're going to be having several guests. Tomorrow on Tuesday, we'll be having chocolate expert, as well as paranormal expert, Lloyd Arbach, and that is an encore presentation of his previously recorded interview. On Wednesday, we'll be having back another encore presentation with Lizanna Wallace, who wrote the Natural Witches Cookbook. She'll be our guest on Tuesday in an again encore presentation. On Friday, we'll be having J.D. Walker, who is a new guest, who has written The Witch's Guide to Wild Crafting, and she'll be here with us on Friday, the 29th. And that'll wrap up Halloween week. So come back tomorrow and listen to Lloyd Arbach and the rest of the guests this week. And I hope that you have a wonderful Halloween. Until then, happy cooking. Mm -hmm.